This is Dr. Hassan Batts with Let's Talk. Today we're talking about mass incarceration and more specifically, surviving mass incarceration. I want to welcome Keenan Hudson, our guest for today. It is exciting to have you here, Keenan. Welcome, brother. Welcome, welcome, Thank welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Keenan is an author, a reentry strategist, a musician, an entrepreneur, and much, much more. Keenan, I've seen your story. I know a little about it, read about it, man, and it is it is impressive. It is inspiring, man. I'm excited to be here with you. Won't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Yes, yes, indeed. Thank you, Dr. Best, for having me. Really appreciate WDIY for having me today. Um, as yes, I can say that I'm from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. My name is Keenan Hudson. You know, born and raised. If anybody knows that. You know, it's not easy growing up in Philadelphia, you know, through poverty and through the struggles of everyday living there. Um, I grew up there, you know, I'm going to say for about 15 years until something tragic happened in my life. But, um, yeah, it's just, you know, I'm here to share my story, my journey, you know, and how I survived you know, the mass incarceration. So when you say Philadelphia, this this isn't the West Philadelphia born and raised story, is it? I mean, what? what? Uh, no, nah, nah, I'm actually nah, not from uh, West Philadelphia. I know that's where Will Smith that's right. is from, but um, I'm actually from like the north part of Philadelphia. Okay, Logan. shout out to North Philly. Yes, yes, yes. Logan section, be exact. Okay. Um, but, you know, I was able, yeah, to come up in those parts, you know, in other parts as well, but predominantly in that section off of Fifth and Rockland. So, so if I went to Fifth and Rockland today, right, mm-hmm. it's a very different Fifth and Rockland than you grew up in, correct? Wow. Well, yeah. I mean, it was still, it was actually still a rough part even when I grew up. But now it's still, I think it's, it's getting worse. In oh, a is way. it? It's actually getting a little worse okay. uh, day to day. You know, the drugs and, you know, the kids growing up without a father. You know, they're running the streets, doing a lot of different things. But, um, yeah, it's, it's totally, I think, you know, like I said, I came up. It's sort of different, but then it has some similar traits as well. So so let's talk about that, right? Because you said mm-hmm. you, you were born and raised in Philly 15 years. Yeah. Then you had this tragedy. You, you were incarcerated. Let's talk about the 15 years before the incarceration, right? Because we often say that mass incarceration is the human rights issue of our time. Mm-hmm. So, so like for me, that is the issue that we need to talk about because it, it is impacted by so many social determinants of health, so many community issues that impact and drive mass incarceration. What was your life and your community like growing up? Wow. Well, growing up, you know, having, you know, a single parent in the home, uh, my father had drifted off, you know, to crack cocaine because that was during that crack era. And what happened was um, I had to really learn to defend for myself because mm. I had no male role models. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that the streets had to offer was the things that, you know, local, you know, drug dealers or local so-called old heads had to offer. So those are people I really turned to, even though I had aunts and uncles and things of that nature, but they didn't play like a big role in being a mentor or support to me. So, again, uh, me turning and learning my masculinity from the streets because my mother couldn't really teach me how to be a man. So for the most part, growing up in that era, you know, the 80s, 90s, it really had, you know, a big impact because, of course, again, it was the drug era. You know, there was things going on. I had ADHD growing up, so I was hyperactive. I was always in the mix of things, um, getting kicked out of schools, getting in a lot of fights around the neighborhoods. And, you know, there were a lot of things, you know, that you had to survive. Usually a typical person, you know, kid from Philadelphia would really go through. It was, it was a struggle, you know, to see my mom, you know, sometimes, you know, 
struggling to pay the bills. You know, the lights may have got cut out or the gas may have got cut off because bills piled up. And but one thing I will say, you know, my mom always kept some, you know, food on the table mm-hmm. and kept a, a roof over our head. She, she found sure a way to make safe. it happen. She made it happen. Yeah. That love uh, I can hear is huge, right? So something you said that, that really has taken me aback that I hear oftentimes is that you said the typical experience of a kid from Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the drugs, we talk about the crime, we talk about the challenges in school, this is the norm in many of our communities. Mm-hmm. And then one of the interesting things is there are parts of Philly that don't have this experience. So so there are really two Philadelphias is, 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 is what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Like there mm-hmm. are people that live with wealth, with comfort, with safety. How old were you when you learned about that, when you realized that the life that you were living is not the life that everyone's living in Philly? So, so what happened, you know, when you're growing up, it's very profound to say that usually when you grow up, kids, you, you soak in certain things as a kid. So when I was growing up, I was always under the assumption that People that were not of my ethnicity or which was of my race had more than we did, everybody okay. in the hood. Okay. I just thought that, hey, they had the nicest cars. But then here it was when I started going to high school in the northeast of Philadelphia, mm-hmm. which is, you know, a pretty better area. I seen that, oh, wow. I said, just because people live out here, they still get involved in certain little people things. People struggling everywhere. People struggling everywhere. But at the same time, there are still people that are functional with it. They're mm-hmm. not just strung out mm-hmm. being crackheads. Mm-hmm. You had some functional people that were on drugs, you know, under the influence, yeah. uh, things to that nature. But it wasn't until I went to high school in a different part, which I got into uh, from playing football through my cousin Wayne because no other schools really accepted me. So you were a football player? Yes, yeah, so I was a football player. What, what position? Oh, I was uh, center. I was nose guard. Yeah. Tackle. Yeah, I played different positions. So, so we're, um, you know, we're, we're on radio, so our listeners don't get to see your size. You're a big guy, man. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm actually 6'7 right now. 6'7. <laughs> I'm probably about 320. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're yeah not, I'm a big guy. You're not a little guy, man. Yeah. So, so okay, 15 years old, growing up in North Philadelphia, mm-hmm. you, you ended up in a, in a whole heap of trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, wow. how did we get there? Wow. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, growing up, ADHD. And this is untreated ADHD. Did you, did you have support? Well, yeah, they had me like, I was on Ritalin, I think like Remrom, different okay, things. Okay, medication. But this stuff, you know, sometimes I used to go to the water fountain, spit it out. And, yep. you know, it was yep. a lot of games with that because that, you know, for real, for real, I believe that had my energy been focused on something else, something like music or something to be creative with. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I could have been focused on that. That's right. But instead, you know, they decided to try to give me medications and not really treated the way it should have been treated. Mm-hmm. But that's a whole other story with that. So long story short, uh, my mother, I had just gotten to high school. My mother was diagnosed with cancer. So by her being diagnosed with cancer, I didn't know how serious it was. I thought it was just a sickness where I thought it was like a common cold, common flu where she was going to get better. So my family didn't really explain these things. So here it was in uh, December 2002. My family had told me about a week before Christmas, oh, yeah, your mother may not be making it. She may not see, you know, the next couple of days. Is any day now she could be passing. Wow. And I was like, wow. So by this time, my mother was home, you know, that she had a hospital bed at the house, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Hospice or something. Hospice, yeah. yeah. And I was like, I didn't know what to think. That's right. So me being, you know, entering high school, peer pressure time, peers doing things around me, smoking marijuana, doing this, that, and the third, and then it hit. Three days after Christmas, my mother passed away wow. from cancer. 
And here it was, I was devastated. So it forced me into the street a lot more. You know, even though my peers were, like I say, they were smoking weed, they were doing things. A lot of them didn't probably didn't struggle as much as, you know, I did, you know, Mm -hmm. growing up. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to gravitate towards that because I wanted to take my pain out on other other things. That's right. and, and that's what was one of the things. So, 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 so mm-hmm. the streets was a coping mechanism for it you. It was a coping mechanism because it's the only ones I could really run to. My yeah. family, they were keeping secrets. Mm. You know, I was only, my mom, I was 13 when my mom passed away. Yeah. But like I said, but so it wasn't until a year later, about a year and about a month later, uh, in 2004, it's when me and some so-called friends, we wanted to get together. And we wanted to plan a robbery. Right, because we was already doing stupid stuff. We were stealing out of stores, yep. running, you know, grabbing things, tucking stuff. So in things, our things were escalating. It was, it was, pro- it was progressing. Escalating. So it was like a like a, like a snowball effect. Yeah, thirteen doing some little kid kind yeah. of things. And it started progressing. Yeah. Plus, my aunt and them, they had no control over me. They tried to send me away a couple times and things yeah. of that nature, but it never happened. So here it was. This one day, one of my friends had a gun, and it was like he was like, "Yo, we can just rob people and get money from people." That's just that's what it was. So there it was this one night we wanted to, we wanted to set this this whole thing up, set up and rob this guy. And my thing was, okay, y'all, I'm gonna plan this thing out. So it was five of us. So here it was, we planned this thing together, we called a guy up to the lo- where the location was at. Now we were just supposed to rob him. Wasn't nothing so else supposed to happen. But the co-defendant, one of my co-defendants, one of my uh Accomplices had a gun to the guy's head, and here I was uh-huh. bear hugging the guy, going into the man's pockets. Fifteen years old. Fifteen years old. We were just trying to get the money. We were trying to get the car, and we were trying to roll out. And your life changed. And right after that, the blink of an eye, because it took less than thirty seconds. That's right. For my life to go on a spiral downhill. Yeah. The blink of an eye. The guy gave up everything. He didn't hesitate. He. He, he, he was resistant free. He didn't try to resist or anything. And the person that I was with just, just shot him for no apparent reason. Wow. For no apparent reason. So then we so then that's when it all flashed before my eyes. Like, wow, what just happened? Yeah. So 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 one life is taken okay. and five lives have been altered. And not not to include the community and the family members, but five youth, right? I'm assuming five youth. All of us all of, yeah, five youth, I was the youngest. I was 15. Everybody else was 16 to 17. Yeah. Everybody else was 16 to 17. So the the guy is murdered. And what happens next? So the guy gets shot in the head. Now everybody's on a run. Everybody's on a run. Yeah. So now these are supposed to be friends. These are supposed <laughs> I, to be I friends. I think I know how this story is. You know ends, how this is going. We're <laughs> yeah. we supposed to be friends. Yeah. Everybody shut up. Keep your mouth shut. Yeah. Street code. Yeah. This is yeah. what we learned since we was kids. That's the fallacy of no snitching. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No snitching. No, yo, don't say nothing. Everybody keep their mouth shut. But here it is. The phone calls we made, we thought just because we blocked them or we gave them somebody else's number, that police couldn't trace it and things that that was our ignorance. Yeah, the fifteen years old. That was our ignorance. That's right. You see what I'm saying? So now here it was, they tracing back calls. Why this person called and and said, hey, if if, if somebody called here, tell them yeah, that's what happened. So then they started tracing calls, and when they started popping up on people, people started pointing fingers. So everyone got arrested. So no, everyone didn't get arrested. Okay. Now what they did was. They arrested one that had something to do with it. 
mm-hmm. but they granted him immunity. Immunity is where you can just stay on um, outside. You don't have to. Um, you could just uh, you can agree to testify on the people that had something to really do with it as well. Yeah. The shooter, which was the commas I was with, and me because I'm the one that planned it, and I ran the guys. So pockets. you guys were like the major. We were the main, the main, the main pointers. Ones, yeah. The other two got away. They didn't. They didn't care about them. Okay. They wanted the main two. Okay. So, so you got arrested. Got arrested. Eventually got arrested. Were you certified as an adult? Certified as an adult, 15 years old for first degree murder. Now, I'm a prison survivor, right? So mm-hmm. I understand what that means. First time in an adult facility, I was 15 years old also. Mm-hmm. Tell our listeners, what does that mean, being certified as an adult at 15 years old? Being certified as an adult, 15 years old, thank God, before I had went in, my family was able to afford me a private counsel. Because so you did not have a them. public offender. I did not have, by the Which grace of God, I did not have a public defender. Because that means life. That means life. Natural the, life. Natural life. You will die in prison. And die in prison. They wanted to actually give us the death penalty. But by that time, they had just passed the law saying, hey, we cannot sentence juveniles to death anymore. Mm-hmm. But we mm-hmm. can seek the life sentence. And and so so you say this and we both know, I don't know if our listeners do, that Pennsylvania was the state with the most juvenile lifers. Yes indeed. Pennsylvania had the most juvenile life. So it would have meant nothing for you to get life nothing. in this state. They would right. nothing. We're gonna take a break, brother. We will come back. We're here with Keenan Hudson. We're talking about mass incarceration, his story of redemption, his inspirational story of repentance, his story of survival. We'll be back. Thank you to the members of WDIY for making all the programming you hear possible. Becoming a WDIY member is the best way to support your listening and to ensure WDIY will be here for the next person in our community to discover. Make your membership gift today at 610-694-8100 extension 4 or wdiy.org. We couldn't be here without you. This is Dr. Bats. We are on Let's Talk. We are returning with uh, Keenan Hudson with a spine chilling, maybe the word. Like, I have goosebumps hearing this story, man. It's, it's so real. You're so authentic. And one of the scariest parts of it, Keenan, is that your journey is not an isolated incident, man. Like, this mass incarceration is the human rights issue of our time. Again, as we always say, we have 1.4 million people in this country incarcerated on any given day. You know, that's 25% of the world's prison population. And this U.S. spends $80 billion annually mm-hmm. on incarceration. So when I hear you talk about wrestling with ADHD, wrestling with the grief from the loss of your mother, the trauma of community violence, and not having a lot of community supports pending on the front end, but all of these resources putting into incarcerating people, man, it's an all-too-common story, right? Mm-hmm. So we left off, you were talking about being arrested at 15 years old, being certified as an adult, having a private attorney versus a public defender. Walk us through the trial and your first day upstate, so to speak, right? Like, Well, yeah, so going through the trial and everything, again, you know, having that, that private counsel, that that meant a lot. Because, you know, when you have that PD, you know, your, your life is at the mercies of strangers. Mm. So here it is, you're literally counting on somebody to dictate whether you spend the rest of your life in prison or not. So again, from analyzing the whole case, um, eventually like everything broke down to whereas they had me and the shooter arrested. We were the, we were ones that were locked up. So at the end of the ordeal, I actually had a plea guilty uh, to 12 and a half to 25 years. Then my co-defendant, I believe had like a 20, he had got, being though he was a shooter, he got like a 25 to 50. 
Wow, how old was he? He was actually 17. 17, he got 25 to 50. He was older. Yeah, he was You were 15, you got 12 and a half to 25 25 years. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it, you know, like I said, I have a detailed. Yeah, so we talk about you being an author. You have a yeah. book out. Yeah. And, 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 and what is it? The Unspoken. So it's Keenan Hudson's the title. Uh -huh. The Unspoken Truth and Life Story. Yeah. So a lot of a lot of everything that I'm saying now, like with the trial, um, statements, after David's, everything, even for me growing up, everything is inside this book. So, every, so, so, every so I always thing. ask the question, how to learn more about you? And you're mm -hmm. saying, to learn more about you, you have the book. And this is available. This is the book. Where is this available? Barnes this and is, Nobles? The, the book is available. It's on Amazon. Okay. Right now, it's, um, it actually, the physical copy is coming out January 16th. Okay. But you can actually purchase it on Kindle as well right now if you would like. So, so what were you feeling as you were going through these first couple of months? Wow. So going through there, it was, it was a big thing because... You know, with things being in the newspaper, mm. you know, I was in the newspaper a few times. Like I say, these articles. And um, you're at CSCF? Where are you at? You I was at House of Correction. House of CF, Correction. I was at House of Correction, Juvenile Block. Then from there, you know, like I said, it was a lot of things going around. People, he say, she say, this going on. You know, it was a lot of things going on. I think the county was probably the roughest stop. Of course. Yeah. So, you know, you had to fight. You had to go through a lot of things, fighting the shower, cells, et cetera, et cetera. So... Of course, I had to learn a lot of lessons early. You know, one of the biggest lessons, and I'll share uh, that I had learned before I had went upstate was, you learn to mind your business. Yeah. You stay out of people, bend whatever they do, they do. I'm gonna give you a quick story. One time we was down CJC, down City Hall, ready to go to court. Across the hall, um, you could see, you know, it was all see-through glass windows. We could see all the prisoners and different holding cells. So it was, it was the prisoners that came from upstate. So here was guys that were in Browns. We were like, oh, yeah, those always upstate. They ain't going to never see us. So they had a couple people in there. So us juveniles was taunting them. Ah, old head, use a noodle. You this, you that. Blah, blah, blah. So they had this real big old head in there that had Browns on too. And I was like, yeah, old head, you nothing. You this, you that. We taunting them. So here it is. I'm 15. So he started banging on the window. Boom, 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 boom. He said, let me out of this cell. I'm going to go over there and beat him up. Let me out of there. But I knew they couldn't get to us because we were juveniles. Mm -hmm. This is this is what we're thinking. That's right. So then the, the sheriff came over to say, hey, man, y'all got to chill, man. Y'all got people over there getting upset. This, that, and the third. We said, all right, we'll chill, we'll chill. Five minutes later, the sheriff comes back. He said, Hudson, uh, yeah, you're going to court. I said, okay, cool. I'm thinking I'm about to go up and see the judge. He walks me over to the cell where the big the, boy the was that you just antagonizing. Yeah, big boy. He said, he said, boo, boo, boo. He said, he said, yeah, yeah, put me, put me in there. Yeah, put me. So I said, no, no, please, no. Uh -uh, yeah, no, I don't yeah. want to go. Now, mind you, everybody see this. And I'm like, no, no, don't put me in there. I'm cool. No, 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 no. But here it was. I was a gangster five minutes ago. Across the hall. And, and you know what the sheriff told me? Sheriff said, listen, man, you got to be careful of how you deal with people. Because that boy got three life sentences. Mm. And he coming down for another body. I said, wow. So it blew me away. Like, whoa, you can't, you you don't know who you're dealing with. So you got to be careful. And you're a 15-year-old boy. And, and here I am, I'm about to go up to the same place yeah. where this person was going to go. I wow. didn't know that. So then that, had, that checked me. That really gave me a reality check. Of where you were going. Where I was going. Like, Three yo, life you, sentences. Three life sentences. And that's where you were going to be. That's where I was going to so, be. So were you scared? Um, I can't say the word scared would fit it, but I never lost hope. I knew that I was going to come out and be something. Okay. Because I knew that I could succeed 
upon my situation. I knew just because of the circumstance that I was in that it wasn't going to define me. I just always knew that. Where'd you get that hope from? I think I can't really And, and, and I'm asking point. you because, so we always say that prison is a lonely, dangerous, and depressing place. A lot of people are hopeless in prison. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So for you to be 15 and have that hope is why you're sitting here now. So yeah. what was it that gave you that hope? So I can say that a lot of people that had influence over my life or left even just little messages or words towards me, mm-hmm. um, some impactful things like my sentence is judge, Judge Benjamin Lerner. He actually wrote, wrote an insert on the back of my book, right? Mm. Hildebrand Pelzer. He was a great influence, was a principal that left some impactful words to me, you know, actually left insert in my book. So a lot of these things, when these people made, in, you know, certain statements and comments, I always rolled with it. Like I've always said, okay, no, I'm not going to be a dummy. So we talk about this idea of restorative practices, right? Mm-hmm. You're saying even when people don't show up as their best selves, you can offer them words of wisdom that will impact the rest Absolutely. of their lives. Absolutely. They can impact you. Wow. Even if you don't get it right then and there. They're planting a seed of positive hope. They the seed that eventually may be watered by somebody yeah. else and watered by another that's person. That's right. That's right. But eventually it's going to grow. Because this principal and this judge could have shamed you. They could have shamed me. But they instead shamed they, me. They, 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 they gave you hope. They said you be something. They gave me hope. They wow. told me you be something in life. You can go. You can learn. You can do different things. Yeah. And I took those words of encouragement. I applied for every school, every vocational that I could. Mm-hmm. I had got my um, high school diploma before I had went upstate. I was able to, you know, teach myself and learn how to play music. So you went upstate mm-hmm. and, and, and you changed. Like you didn't stay with the rough, rough crowd and continue mm-hmm. to make those mistakes. Mm-hmm. Nope. I, I, didn't, yeah, I didn't didn't hang around a rough, rough mm-hmm. crowd, even though I was around some of them. Like I knew a lot of different you know, gang leaders mm-hmm. and I knew different people that were in Rutgers and things of that nature. But I always chose the route. I said, nah, even though I would gamble, I would have gambling tapes, I would run stores, whatever the case may be. You know, you know how it yeah, go. Yeah, survival. So I would do survival tactics. But it, I never went to the point where I had to air something out, you know, like a lot, a lot of people do, because I never put myself in that predicament. Okay, so I, so I, I know what air something out means, but for uh-huh. our listeners, what, is it, what does that mean? So to air something out means to literally stab somebody and mm-hmm. do some bodily harm to somebody while you're incarcerated. So you made a commitment once you were incarcerated to not do bodily harm on anybody ever again. Yeah. Now, down in county, that was different because you're a different entity. When you're down in county... You had to fight and things of that nature. But once I started maturing a little bit, yeah. I started maturing. I said, hell, yo, you can't be doing it because you got to have a clean jacket if you want to get out to on get parole. Out. So, so I, you had mm-hmm. to change your life. I had to change my life completely. And in the process, so so we know now that Pennsylvania, well, the country is releasing a lot of juvenile lifers yeah. because of the research on brain development. Uh-huh. So you're 15 years old. They say your brain's not fully deformed until 25 Absolutely. to 30 years old. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So you lived through that process of, of, yeah. of making better decisions. But yeah, but then let me tell you this. This is the this is a huge part, especially for a lot of the brain, like you say, the brain researchers with the juvenile lifers. I went in at 15. Everything went on pause. Right? Everything That's went right. on pause. That's right. I grew up in prison. I knew how to be a man in prison. I knew mm. how to survive in prison. Yeah. But once those doors opened back up to me, the only thing I remember was 15. Being 15. In my mind. Yeah. 15. I was taking public transportation within my first month home, and I drove past my old high school. I said, I wonder if my friends still go there. Maybe I should ask somebody on the bus, one of the kids that make it on my ask them. If my they know such and there. such, yeah. But I had to check myself right then and there. I said, no. 12 years had passed. These years passed away. People grew up. People have children. 
they they may probably remember you, but they don't forgot about you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So now it's it's a dang. How do I pay a bill? How do I find a job? If society always told me that if I have a felony, I can't get a job nowhere, which is the biggest lie in the book. I didn't know that, but this is what people were saying. So here it was. So you're trying to you're trying to remain hopeful. Hopeful. But but this energy in the world is telling you it's, it's over. It's, it's telling you it's over. It's over. You're not gonna be able to amount to nothing. This, yeah. that, and the third. And you rejected that. At first, I started believing it until some things happened where it's like, no, I'm not gonna settle. And then I started rejecting. Okay. I started rejecting. I said, no, I'm gonna get out here and I'm gonna go to every job. So things started clicking, even if it's 725. I'm going to go and I'm going to work this minimum wage. If you can make 19 cents upstate. You can scrubbing <laughs> toilets, yeah, scrubbing can. showers, and, right. and working in the kitchen. You can make 19 cents. You can come out here and make this 725. That's right. You may That's not right. be able to buy those Jordans that you want. Yeah, yeah. You won't, you you, won't be buying a Benz. You, you may be but. buying no Benz and things like that. But again, you may need transportation, but you don't need no Ferrari. So, so can, okay. Mm-hmm. Let's let's talk about this in closing. You're not the last 15 year old to be incarcerated for murder mm-hmm. and unfortunately many more are going to come behind you yeah. what advice do you have for the 15 year old for the 13 year old that's running with the wrong crowd and things are escalating and then for the 15 year old that gets caught up in the system what advice do you have for those two wow so for for the first uh, 15 year old that you mentioned the 13 year old that's uh, just the 13, running with the wrong crowd listen you better analyze your circle Know who you're running with, and remember, there are consequences for your action. It's very easy to get in trouble, but it's extremely hard to get out of. You can say that one again. Yes, it's very easy to get in trouble, but it's very hard to get out of. If you are not thinking, I'm telling you, your consequences are not going to be good. Your consequences are not going to be good. And to the individual, the 15-year-old that's in the prison system right now, Certified as an adult. Certified as they an adult. They tell him it's over. He doesn't have life, but people tell him he'll never be you, anything. You, listen, there is hope. You need to pick up every book. You need to get to a law library because remember, law library, that's a right that you have. It's there, but a lot of juveniles are not exercising it that's because right. they don't really know. The average person in the world don't know yeah. the law. But remember, don't get time barred. You need to study. You need to take vocational school and educate your mind. You know, you need to pick up on things, study on things. Don't just sit on the block and play cards all day and lollygagging. And then mm-hmm. let, me, let me ask you about the, the listener at home that's never been incarcerated, that's never been in any trouble, that's hearing this story, that's watching news and hearing stories. What do you want them to know? Wow. So what I want y'all to know is that if I was able to transform my life, if I was able to make a smooth transition, you know, to come home, yes, get a job, Start my own business, you know, buy uh, properties and do so many different things, you know, with the reform mind, you can do it as well. You know, you can leverage your credit. You can learn things about credit, you know, taking you places where your money can't. You know, these are very same things and it took me time and step by step. I'm telling you, you can do it as well. How long have you been home, Keenan? I actually been home since 2016, which the total will be it's six years just passed, but it'll be seven years at the end of this year. Six years. I want to say welcome home. I want to say I'm Thank glad you. that you're here. Appreciate and I want to say I salute the man that you are today, the man that you're becoming. You Thank are you. an example to so many people across our community and across this world, man. Um, thank you for joining us. In closing, is there anything you want to add? Uh, all I'm going to say, I just hope that you all um, really took a lot out of this story and got a lot. Any questions, want to reach me. 
Um, I'm quite sure y'all can just look me up, Keenan Hudson. Again, I have the book out, you know, Unspoken Truth. I'm telling you, it's going to be a big inspiration. There's going to be a lot of good uh, re-entry books that I'm going to be coming out with as well. It's going to be different strategies on how to, you know, succeed out here in everyday living. And again, it's not just for people that are incarcerated, but it's going to be universal for people from all walks of life. Again, it's going to be very profound. So if you guys, again, you can search me, look me up, send firm requests, like, share, subscribe. Everything is good. Keenan Hudson. The Unspoken Truth and Life Story. Check him out. He just told you social media. The book looks great. Thank you for, for joining us. This is an issue that we know is a, a staggering statistic. So, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Absolutely. And if you want to write to him, it is P.O. Box 95, Sheltonham, Pennsylvania, 19012. Keenan Hudson email, KeenanHudson215 at gmail.com. And his website is KeenanHudson.com. This is Dr. Batts. Let's talk. This is one of the issues that is dearest to my heart. We know that mass incarceration, again, is a human rights issue of our time and that it takes all of us. It takes all of us to make sure that people are successful upon returning and reintegrating into our community. Peace. Thank you.